Well, dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very good. Daniel chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. This is what it says in a new international version. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to send him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, well, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. The king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Well, dear father, this is my prayer. That these, your beloved, would not necessarily see Jim Lowe speaking, but my prayer is that they would see you speaking through me. Because if that doesn't take place, then everything we do this hour really amounts to very, very little. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. All across America, there are people, both young and old alike, who live lives of uncommitment. You see, they have the appearance of commitment. In fact, they like to talk about it, but they don't necessarily walk the talk. They loosely hold on to what some term conditional commitment. They internally say this to God, Lord, I'll do anything for you as long as it doesn't cost me very much. Or in fact, can I be very transparent? I think there are some people that say, I'll do anything for you, Lord, as long as it costs me nothing. I know that I may be sounding a little bit harsh, 
But at the same time, I may not be that far off. David Bosch of South Africa, a missiologist, made this statement. He stated that there needs to be the evangelization of the evangelized. As I read my Bible, I am under the understanding that God wants Christians to be sold out for him. Believers who are committed, who have surrendered their all to him. You see, Jesus Christ never minced words about the need for heart commitment since he knew that either the disciples would be committed to him and, de and deny their own desires or they would be determined to go their own ways and deny him. The choice, the choice to commit or not commit will be faced by all. You see, we will either deny ourselves or we will deny him. We will either go his way or we will pursue our own way. We will either do his thing or we will do our own thing. You see, I enjoy watching individuals trying out for the Olympic Games. These athletes who compete for medals are living metaphors of commitment. They have invested countless hours into practice, sometimes thousands of dollars into coaches and equipment, and every ounce of energy and talent into their sport. In addition, their families have often made significant sacrifices to help their champion realize his or her dream. Well, Kelsey Bryan, an Olympian, upon being interviewed the day before she was going to compete in the women's diving, diving competition shared, there has been a sacrifice in becoming an Olympic diver. I made a decision to leave my home in Colorado to live in Indianapolis, Indiana, in order to be properly coached. Well, this meant that I had to leave all that I am familiar with. I really have no deep friendships because my time and my energies have been focused on diving. It has been sometimes very lonely, sometimes very hard, but it has been worth the sacrifice to be able to say that I am an Olympian. The cameras were on Sean Johnson's parents as she won gold on a balance beam. As tears ran down her mother's face and while her mom and dad were ecstatically hugging each other, the reporter was saying these words. They mortgaged their home two times to ensure that there would be enough money for Sean to be able to be coached. The amount of commitment given to a sport can be both overwhelming but also very impressive. You see, often early in the morning at around 6 a.m., I will see IWU athletic teams, women and men's basketball players, cross-country runners, swimmers, football players already geared up and practicing. I have also seen the men and women of ROTC actually running, running the perimeter of the campus while the majority of our campus is still snuggling and snoring in bed. Well, the reality is this, any type of commitment to anything can and will require an investment of our time, an investment of our energy, our money, our talents, and our gifts. And we need to realize that commitment to God transcends all otherworldly commitments because it requires all the above and can I share much, much more. You see, dear ones, God asks nothing less of us than ourselves, our whole selves, in other words, commitment and total surrender need to go together. Adrian Rogers, the famous Baptist pastor, once made a trip, a mission trip to Romania. Over the course of two weeks, he bonded with his interpreter, but hadn't really learned much about his thoughts. 
And so towards the end of the trip, Adrian Rogers asked the interpreter, tell me, what do you think about American Christians? The answer, I don't want to talk about it. A strange reply. Well, this, of course, only made Dr. Rogers more curious, so he began to press his interpreter for an answer. After several attempts, Adrian Rogers finally said, well, why, why won't you tell me? I really want to know. I want to learn. What do you think about American Christians? Well, finally, the interpreter capitulated. Well, okay then, but you're not going to like what my answer is going to be. Then he continued, I don't think you Americans understand what Christianity really is all about. You see, back in the 1960s, you began to use the word commitment to describe your relationship with Jesus Christ. However, any time a word comes into usage, another word, it goes into disuse. The interpreter continued, until the 1960s, you Americans talked about surrendering to Jesus Christ. Surrender means giving up control, turning over all to the master, Jesus. But by changing the word commitment to the word commitment, your relationship with Jesus Christ has become something that you still want to have control over, something that you do so that you can still, again, feel as if you are in control of the situation. Surrender means giving up all rights of oneself. Well, you Americans don't like to do that, so instead you make a commitment. Well, dear ones, disciples of Jesus Christ, we are told that we are to take up our cross. Jesus Christ challenges each one of us to put ourselves voluntarily under God's authority, doing his will and doing it his way. Well, Daniel, Daniel of the Old Testament models for us what surrendered commitment to God really can be about and should be about. You see, as I read Daniel chapter 6, I discover seven commitments that those who are surrendered to God will seek to possess. That's what I want to share with you this morning. That number one, the surrendered are committed to excellence, to doing one's best. In verse 3, we are told that Daniel, he distinguished himself. You need to know that there's a nagging lecture that I give for those that are preparing for full-time ministry. And a nagging sentence goes something like this, don't give God your second best. You see, it annoys me when I see the world doing things with greater excellence and passion than some Christians. And I will never be satisfied with the response that goes something like this. Since I serve a God of grace, and because I serve a God of mercy, I can relax in the way that I do things for him. You see, in a way, I understand what they're saying. We're not accepted by God by what we do or how well we do it. But can I share, dear ones, but grace and mercy should never become our excuse for not giving God our best. And so... Julie Ackerman, in a devotional magazine titled Daily Bread, shares this account. We had rehearsed the song for several weeks, and it sounded really good. But there was one tricky section that we just couldn't get right. We were ready to call it enough. Our choir director seemed to agree. He, too, was weary of rehearsing the same few measures over and over. Finally, he said, We've worked hard on this. You're tired, I'm tired. We're running short on time. And in fact, 99% of the people won't know whether or not we sing it right. Well, as we started then to put away our music, the choir director continued, 
but we're going to sing it right for the 1% who know the difference. We all groaned as we reopened our music to the rumpled page. On Sunday morning, when we sang it right, few people knew that we had done it correctly. But it really didn't matter. Because what really mattered was that we were singing from our heart for an audience of one. One who deserves excellent praise. You see, dear ones, whatever we do, our audience of one deserves our very best. Amen? Number two. The surrendered are committed to transparency. You see, Daniel was the type of person that Scripture describes as being blameless. There was nothing in his life that could bring guilt upon him or shame upon God. The scheming administrators, the scheming satraps, according to verse number 4, could find no corruption in him. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says that we are to be above reproach. You see, a continual question that you and I need to be asking ourselves is, is there anything in my life right now that people can point to that is immoral, contrary to Scripture, just plain wrong? Number three, the consecrated are committed to the Word of God. You see, this point is implied in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. That those who sought for Daniel's downfall realized how devoted he was to the law of God or God's divine word. He studied the scriptures and he was living it out. We are told it's been discovered that less than a survey that less than 40% of those who claim to be Christians will read their Bible on a regular basis. It has also been discovered that women are more likely than men to read the Bible in the past week. 49% versus 28%. Well, I like what Abraham Lincoln wrote. I believe that the Bible is the best gift that God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated through this book. Number four, the surrendered are committed to prayer. You see, Daniel knew what the decree was. He knew what the king's order said and the consequences of disobeying it. And yet, according to verse 10, it tells me that Daniel, who went back up into his room, even though he knew that he could be put to death, the Bible tells me that he got down upon his knees and he prayed to Almighty God. He went home. He went to his upper room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, as was his regular practice, he got down and prayed to Almighty God. Well, I like what Max Lucado wrote about prayer. He states, most of our prayer lives could use a tune-up. Some prayer lives lack consistency. They're either a desert or they are an oasis. Long, arid, dry spells interrupted by brief plunges into waters of communion. He comes along and continues, others of us need sincerity when we pray. Our prayers are a little bit hollow, memorized, and rigid, more liturgy than real life. And though they are daily, he states that for many, their prayer life really has become very dull. Still others lack honesty. We honestly wonder if prayer makes a difference. And our prayers may again, dear ones here, it may seem awkward to us, and they may seem very feeble. But listen to this, since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not the one who says it. Our prayers do make a difference. Number five, the surrendered are committed to obedience. 
You see, Daniel was committed to obeying God. And the question that we need to be asking ourselves over and over is how really committed are we to obeying him? One of my favorite Old Testament prophets is Isaiah. Isaiah heard the the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he responded when he heard the voice of God, Isaiah states, here I am, send me. But I wonder if knowing the rest of the book, if Isaiah really would have given his answer so quickly. You see, I would venture to guess that Isaiah had no idea what lie ahead or how God would use him to reveal his message to the people that did not want to walk in obedience to him. I have asked myself, if Isaiah knew what God was going to ask him to do in Isaiah chapter 20, would he have been so quick to say, here I am, Lord? Listen to what God wanted him to do. Isaiah, I want you to go. I want you to remove the sackcloth from your body, and I want you to take your sandals off your feet. I want you to walk in public naked and barefooted for three years. You see, the shame that he was supposed to feel if he obeyed, it was to be a picture of the shame that Egypt and Ethiopia were going to experience. And I have to wonder this. I wonder when he heard those words, what God wanted him to do, if Isaiah did not hesitate. I wonder if he considered other options or tried to convince himself that surely God would not ask him to do such a thing. I mean, we don't know from the text what his emotions were, but I'm just trying to imagine Isaiah's reaction, for I must confess, and I need to be very transparent with you, I would have hesitated. I mean, I I want you to know, I don't even like people seeing my naked toes when I wear sandals. And so the ideas of going around, I mean, the idea would be, hey, Jim Lowe, Wufundisi Jim, to show the shame that some people need to have, I want you to go around IWU naked for three years. Can I share? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> Yet in spite of that, even though it was hard, Scripture indicates that Isaiah indeed walked around naked and barefooted for three years. Three years. And in comparison, what have we been asked to do by God lately? You see, perhaps God has been convicting you about something. What is God asking of you? How committed are you to really obeying the voice of God? Number six, the surrendered are committed to trusting. You see, in verse 22, it tells us that even when he was thrown into the den of lions, Daniel put his trust in God. Trusting means recognizing that whether the situation we find ourselves in seems good or bad, God will ultimately work it all out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, shortly after Dallas Seminary was founded in 1924, it almost folded because of financial issues. It came to the point of bankruptcy. All the creditors were ready to foreclose at 12 noon on a particular day. Well, that morning, the founders of the school met in the president's office to pray that God would somehow do a miracle and provide. In that prayer meeting was a person by the name of Harry Ironside. When it was his turn to pray, he and his refreshingly candid way said, Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. Please sell some of them and send us some money. Just about that time, a tall Texan in boots and with an open-collared shirt, he strolled into the business office. Howdy, he said. I just sold two carloads of cattle over in Fort Worth. 
I've been trying to make a business deal go through, but it just isn't working out. I feel that God wants me to give this money to the seminary. I do not know if you need it or not. What a dumb question. I don't know if you need it or not, but here's the check. The secretary took the check and knowing something about the critical nature of the hour, went to the door of the prayer meeting and knocked on it. Dr. Lewis Chafer, the founder and president of the school, answered the door, took the check from her hand. When he looked at the amount that was scribbled on that check, it was the exact sum of the debt to the penny. And then he recognized the name on a check. It was a, he knew the cattleman. And turning to the praying group, he said, God just sold the cattle. If your doctor tells you that you need brain surgery, do you want a Christian or do you want a trained surgeon? And if you want a surgeon, do you want somebody who just barely graduated or do you want somebody who graduated at the top of his or her class? The seventh commitment of the consecrated is a commitment to glorify God. To glorify God means to honor God and to bring honor to him. Maybe your parents said to you what my parents said to me many, many years ago. Whether I was going out the door to a party or uh, leaving home to go to college, there were times when my mom would say to me, now son, remember whose name you bear. Uh, bring honor to our family name. Don't embarrass us. Uh, she was talking about, in a sense, glorifying the family. And Dr. Lowe says that he finds in the book of Daniel this, this uh, commitment of the consecrated to bring honor and glory to God. Daniel brought honor to God by keeping his commitment to God to talk to God in prayer three times a day, as was his habit, whether there was a law against it or not. In Daniel 6, God preserves Daniel through the lion's den. And when Daniel walks out alive the next day, King Darius says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion will never end. You would have thought that King Darius had been a lifelong worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he was not. He was one who observed the life of Daniel, his consecration, his commitment it brought honor to God, and then King Darius honored God himself. I wonder if you feel called by God. Just a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you feel called. I'm not talking about uh, if you're called to be a minister. Uh, if, that's, if you feel called to be a minister, raise your hand in just a minute. But I believe that uh, people who are called to medicine or education or law, or business, also often have a sense, God has placed this on my heart. This is what he wants me to do. If you feel called of God to do what you're studying to do right now, raise your hand, please. Look at this. There are hands all across the auditorium. You feel called. If you feel called, then your first task is to prepare to do the thing that God has called you to do. We've got to be prepared. And then we need to give him our very best. That will bring honor and glory to him. In the book of Genesis, we see the story of Abraham and Lot. 
Now, we know a lot about Abraham. We just know a little about Lot. Abraham was called to go with God to a place that God would show him. Abraham had no idea where he was headed when he started out. And Lot said, hey, I'll go along with you. And that's sort of the way Lot's life went. Lot was sort of just there. He wasn't really committed, wasn't really consecrated, wasn't bringing honor and glory to God. If you look at those parallel lives, you see uh, Abram left everything. Lot took everything. Abraham is known as the father of the Jews, ancestor of Jesus Christ. Lot is a footnote in Abraham's story. Abraham became a very wealthy man. Lot also became very wealthy. And then he lost everything because he decided he would live among the people who weren't honoring God, not bringing glory to him. Abraham walked and talked with God. And in the end, in the end, it's shocking to see that that, that Lot leaves the city and moves into a cave up in the hills because he's afraid that God might pour out his wrath on yet another city, not just Sodom and Gomorrah but another city. There perhaps is the difference between somebody who feels the power of the call and somebody who's just along for the ride. I ask you again, if you need brain surgery, you want a Christian, somebody who feels the grace of God and has responded to it, or do you want a fully trained surgeon? Of course. Well, if God has called you Uh, Ultimately, his call to you is to help make the world a better place. You are dealing with eternal souls. Should we be any less concerned to bring honor and glory to him than a brain surgeon? We're dealing with eternal souls and with the eternal God, the Lord of all the heavens and all of the earth. I think that for some students, giving God glory by their academic life is a matter of being organized. Have you ever done this? You look at your calendar and you see you've got a test on Friday morning and so what you do is you do an all-nighter. You study Thursday night all night long. And maybe that works for you. Maybe that's the way your brain works. But I know what happened with me. I studied all night long. Go take the test. Didn't do so well. And if you cram all night long and don't do so well on the test, it's your brain saying, hey, that's not the way I learn. I learn a different way. Find out how your brain learns. I won't go into it here. Find out how your brain learns and cooperate with it. Some of us, it's not a matter of being smart enough. It's a matter of being organized enough. So I would say uh, maybe one of the things we ought to do is clear the decks, jettison everything that isn't essential for us, and then do the work that we need to do to excel in studies and bring honor and glory to God and then add back in what we can in terms of activities and relationships and groups and clubs and interests, outside activities. One study said that um, some college students spend 40 hours a week playing video games. Surely not here. Can you imagine 40 hours a week? Well, maybe you can I hope not. Uh, The seventh commitment is that those who are committed to God are consecrated to bringing honor and glory to him. Or maybe it's not a matter of organization. Maybe it's a matter of love. Who do you love most, yourself or God? Now, it's hard to love someone you can't see, but we need to cultivate a sense of love for God, and when our love for God grows, we'll find 
that we want to give him our best. We want to do our best. We want to be organized the best academically and relationally. Don't give God a rough draft of your life. Give him the finished product. I remember when my son, who was really a money hoarder, anything he earned or anything he was given, he kept, put it in the bank, good for him. And then one day he said to me, he's in high school, one day he said to me, didn't have his driver's license, he said, Dad, I need to go to the store. I said, why do you need to go to the store? He said, I can't tell you. Well, I said, I'm not going to take you to the store unless I know why we're going. He finally said, I need to buy a present for a girl. What? I thought, we've come to a turning point in his life. He's going to open up his wallet and draw some money out of that thing. Incredible. So he was interested in a girl at school, and maybe Valentine's Day was coming up, and he bought her a gift. Couldn't believe it. Someone said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. If you love God... If your love for God increases, you'll find that you're drawn to do your best and to give your best. So today, to finish up, I call you, Dr. Lowe calls you, to give your best to God, to say this semester, I'm going to do excellently, not just enough to get by, but I'm going to do my best. 